0: Today, we're going to get to the heart of the matter about just how essential churches really are in a pandemic and look at some very interesting data that have been analyzed about states that are more or less restrictive with respect to church and worship. My guest today, my friend and colleague, attorney Nicholas Miller, also a professor of church history at Andrews University, Nick. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring. It's always good to be with you, Alan. So you've been working on an interesting project. Give us a brief introduction to what you're finding with respect to the states and the variety of restrictions.
1: Yeah, quarantine restrictions on religious activity. So I'm part of a group of scholars that works on issues of international religious freedom. And there's a British scholar that he and I are jointly working on a paper comparing And contrasting the restrictions on religion in the 50 U.S. states and then looking at that in comparison to uh, restrictions on religion in all the European countries, a part of the uh, EU, European Union. Mm -hmm. And so we're finding some interesting things, perhaps many of them expected. That in the United States, we've categorized the states from one to four, with one being very low restrictions. There's maximum religious freedom, churches. In a number of states, the restrictions haven't applied to churches at all. And in fact, in some surprising places, including Michigan, where we have a Democratic governor, uh, there was an exemption entirely for religion and worship. Also in New York State, um, The city apparently did have some restrictions, but in the state as a whole, uh, religion was exempt. Though I hasten to add in all those places, churches generally voluntarily chose not to meet, including the Seventh-day Adventist Church, because we didn't want to turn our religious freedom into the basis of causing harm to our own members or to the larger community. But most of the states that had low levels of intrusion or high levels of religious freedom were Republican, either in governor or in control of the state house, about 83%. Mm-hmm. And then on the other end of the spectrum, where there were high restrictions on religion, religion not allowed to meet groups of only five or less, where that was the tightest, 75% of those states were Democratic in nature. And it, it highlights the growing divide in our politics between religion and secularity where the republican party is becoming more and more identified with religion and religious people and groups and church attendance and then the democrats with the opposite with uh, secular outlooks where religious freedom is not uh, very robust europe didn't present the same picture probably we decided restrictions on religion were everywhere and very strong in good part because even in catholic countries and protestant countries where there's state religion Secularism is very high and has made even greater inroads there than in the U.S. So we're, we're looking at, at some of these dynamics, but, you know, what's occurring at the local level is what we're finding most interesting and the kind of objections that are being made by Protestant groups. I know in California, what is it you're having? Is it 3,000
0: churches? 3,000 churches have signed a pledge that they will be reopening on Pentecost the end of May. This show will air after that, so by the time you listeners hear this, presumably that would have taken place.
1: And so both you and I have talked about this in the past, and our general view is that so far in most places, the restrictions on religion have not been Unconstitutional or inappropriate. I think you and I would agree on that. That there really is a public health concern here. That where churches have met, COVID has spread. People have died, and that it's not that our we can still worship, and we are worshiping, aren't we? Sure, over Zoom and and over streaming services,
0: worship continues. It's and if not- I might jump in here, Nick. Yeah, you know one of the arguments we hear from our conservative friends is. Well, Hebrews 10.25, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as is the custom of some, that that this is a mandate that we must meet together in person. Well, you know, I think that that is an abuse of the text, for one. I don't think that the text justifies meeting, even if it's going to carry with it serious public health risks. But also what I'm hearing from pastors in many different places is that their attendance is actually increased with the help of the live streaming and, you know, the Zoom Bible studies and such, that more people are able to come. People who would never come to a midweek prayer meeting are showing up now because it's so much easier. So You know, the idea that somehow we are not assembling together because of this is not entirely factual.
1: Well, and in fact, you know, Christ himself says where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them, right? So as we assemble with our family groups, maybe it's just two or three or four people, But that is a worship gathering, and then we can gather with others over Zoom and hear our services and our preachers and our Sabbath or Sunday schools. But in doing this paper, I have become a little more sensitive to the fact that we as Protestants view worship somewhat differently as some other religious traditions. Well, for
0: starters, the Muslim community got completely shut down with Ramadan, which can't really be practiced except, you know, in person. And so their whole Ramadan was out the window this year. Um, Same for Passover for the Jews. You know, some folks participated in Zoom Passovers, but the notion of getting the extended family or community together to celebrate Passover just didn't happen. And I know you're going to talk about the, uh, the Roman Catholic experience.
1: Well, churches that are more sacramental than ours, which believe that the rites of the church are avenues of grace, where, you know, you take the Mass, and the Mass brings you the merits of God or of Christ, and grace is distributed and transubstantiation happens, I mean... All of this is very hard to do from a distance. It requires, they call it the real presence for a reason, right? That the real presence is there in the room where the priest
0: is. Well, and sure. And this explains why, at least here in California, the, the Catholic Church is not accepting of being placed into phase three of the reopening. You know, many states have similar plans modeled after CDC guidelines and phases for reopening. And so phase one is the shutdown, phase two is the first phase of reopening, and churches are generally regarded uh, nationally as high risk, and they're put into phase three, and that has been, you know, not something that the Catholic Church is comfortable with, along with some of the independent evangelical churches, and so, you know, they're pushing for some kind of quicker reopen. So I'm
1: less sympathetic with the evangelical churches who are kicking up a fuss. Because uh, both you and I are constitutional lawyers and have practiced in the field for many years, and I'm, I'm not persuaded that the restrictions put on the worship, they're not aimed at the worship, they don't prevent us from worshiping as Protestants, and there's very real public health risk out there. But I think that we do need to be a little bit more sensitive to our sacramental friends and neighbors, where presence is so much more important And I guess I feel some support for their objection that when you go into phase two in California, as I understand it, various restaurants and maybe bars can be opened as long as there's social distance, family groups can sit together, but gaps between them and other groups. Well, if that is happening, I would certainly prioritize my Catholic friends' need to be present in mass at least as high as sitting in restaurants and attending restaurants and I recognize there's a certain amount of faith and trust we have to put into the restaurant to roars as well as the attendees at the restaurants that they're going to maintain social distance. But I don't know why we can trust them but not trust the Catholics or other maybe high church Protestants that do have a more sacramental view that they won't take the same kind of precautions between family groups and members and maintain social distancing. I think it sends a message that somehow restaurants, which are just not as necessary as, say, grocery stores or drugstores, are somehow more important to our community than the religious practices of communities that are very dependent on in-person worship services.
0: Well, I think in part, your study that focuses on kind of the disparities between secularity and religious religiosity or religious involvement I think that helps in part to explain the difference, because you know government's focus on reopening is economic primarily right is how do we help various sectors of the economy to start functioning again because you know the entire health of the community you know whether it's political health, economic health, social health, you know a lot of that's tied up with the economy so I think that is the number one priority there when it comes to things like restaurants. They don't want all the restaurants going out of business. Uh, that would be a big hit for the economy for sure.
1: And also with the restaurants, you know, there there's a tax base there that helps. Right. Whereas churches of course. are faced similarly with they don't meet, they don't have offerings, but they don't present much of a tax base either. And I think as a as a, a faith person in the community, I don't think it's appropriate for the government to be drawing lines based on economic output rather than true health risk to the community and valuing economic output over corporate religious
0: experience citizens. Well, I'm not sure that that's what they're doing, because frankly, you know, I've seen that churches are rated as high risk. And I will tell you right now, there are restaurants that I will go to Weeks, maybe months before I'll set foot in a church again. You know, I'm in a household where we have persons in our household who are compromised, who are high risk. So, no, I am not going to be setting foot in church for a very long time. I don't think it's safe. You know, I may have the best intentions of, you know, not getting close to somebody else, but I can't control what they do.
1: And I think you're right. I think you should have that freedom
0: especially if you have compromised
1: people in your household. But I'm not sure you should insist that others who don't have compromised households and are in healthy categories should have to stay home from church as well. I think there's a difference there.
0: Well, I guess what I'm saying, though, is you don't go to a restaurant to meet with strangers. You know, you go to a restaurant to get a meal with the people that you come with and you select who those people are. You go to church and you're there with a lot of people that you know and some people that you don't know. And it is a much more unpredictable environment because socializing is very much a part of what happens in most churches. So I do think that no matter, you know, I've seen wonderful plans for how careful all the precautions the churches can take. And there are fantastic plans available for churches, you know, to prepare to reopen and be safe. But even with the best of plans, some churches are finding that people are still transmitting the virus at church. And the difference has to do with the fact that all larger gatherings have been postponed for a time because large gatherings themselves are what are regarded as risky. You know, restaurants where you're at 25 percent of capacity, of seating capacity, are pose, I think, a much, much lower risk than trying to do the same at church. Well, I think it would
1: be fair and appropriate to put those same kinds of restrictions on the churches. I don't think you just say, okay, we're opening churches and they can do what they want and meet at full capacity. If you're opening restaurants and saying 25% capacity, then do
0: the same with churches. Well, this has been a wonderful discussion with my friend and colleague, attorney, Professor Nicholas Miller, but we're out of time. This has been Freedom's Ring. Until next week, folks, let freedom ring.